Welcome to the Columbus Area.Church podcast. Encouraging and uniting the Church of Columbus with host Adam Ward. Well, hello, listeners. Today, another treat for you. I have Chris Money. She is the executive director for Kindway. And the purpose for Kindway, they invest in the lives of those impacted by incarceration. And incarceration, uh, a lot of you may have zero exposure to it. A lot of you may be in the throes of it or have a loved one. But I tell you, Chris has got a crazy story. She's local here in Columbus. Um, and I can't wait to introduce you. Chris, thank you so much for being on the show today. I'm thrilled to be here today, Adam. Thank you for the invitation. Yeah, so I actually met Chris when we were looking at serving on a board together. We were seated seated next to each other a couple seats away and uh, got to chat with her then, but it was a room full of 25 people, I think, so we didn't get to talk a lot, but uh, man, you were... so. Now you live in the Columbus area, but you were born in Cleveland. You went to that state up north. And yeah. then, <laughs> <laughs> but then you ended up finishing school in Louisville. Right. And, uh, and, and then I'm going to Kentucky to get, uh, to focus on social work. But let, right. let, tell me about life growing up and, and what that was like. Uh, I grew up, I have um, three siblings, a, a, a sister and two brothers, and we grew up in a uh, home that our parents uh, were pretty devout Catholics and very active in the church. I went to a Catholic grade school, so um, my role models were people um, who had a, a good work ethic, but also had service, Christian service, and so um that that was how I was raised and probably helped form my interest and eventually went to the University of Kentucky and majored in social work because I wanted to do something to help affect change. Um, and so that's why it was, I gravitated toward that. Mm. And social work usually requires you to get a master's degree to... Um... I ended up coming as I got to the ended up in the Columbus area is that I have a, a master's degree in social work from the Ohio State University. So, all yeah. right. Um, Fellow master's Buckeye here. All right. That's right. <laughs> now, when you when you left Ohio State, you got your first job at the Chillicothe um, uh, for their correctional institution as a social worker. What what, what was that like? Well, um, I had graduated and I was looking for a position and um, I uh, had just done an internship in, in substance abuse recovery service at the VA Medical Center and right across the street or road in Chillicothe is the uh, Chillicothe Correctional Institution. So I reached out to them and there was a social work position that did recovery service. So I applied and that's how I uh, was hired. Um, it was my intent to be there no longer than a year. And I thought, you know, really don't want to work in a prison. And, uh, but I was desperate for employment and they had a job. So I applied. So that, that would be this June, that'll be 40 years ago. So. Wow. <laughs> now, 
Okay, so first of all, you're a young woman who graduates from college and you're in a correctional institution. Now, a lot of us, okay, look, I'm gonna admit, I don't have a lot of exposure to prisons. Um, my most exposure is what I see on television, whether that's accurate or not accurate, I don't know. But for you now to say it's been 40 years um, mm -hmm. and that you spent, right, you spent 30 years working for the state of Ohio. Correct. And so I ended up staying. I ended up, I loved it. And I, uh, I ended up staying for my entire career. I worked at um, a number of different prisons. And then ultimately the last five years, I worked at the Ohio Department of Youth Service. So, and retired 10 years ago this month. Wow. Okay. So one of the prisons that you worked at was across the street from the neighborhood I lived in for many years, yeah. um, Ohio Reformatory for Women. So we always saw that a water tower and, yeah. um, you know, the fences around there. But so I, I get that you were, you know, warden there at women's prison, but you served the biggest stint of your career as warden of Marion. Right. Which is 2000 men, right? Yeah. yeah. Yes. So, uh, I mean, give us a little insight on what that was like and how your faith played a role there and, and the other prisons that you were part of. Um, well, I actually worked at two men's prisons to start my career, the Chillicothe Correctional Institution, the Lima Correctional Institution, then worked with women um, for about 11 years. And then I was uh, assigned to go to Marion Correctional. While I was the warden at um, the Ohio Reformatory for Women, that would have been from 92 to 96, one of my staffers kept coming to my office telling me about Kairos, this prison ministry. Um, she had been on a fourth day community um, weekend herself, and she heard about Kairos. It was at that point in time only at the Lebanon Correctional Institution north of Cincinnati. It was, it was active in that, but nowhere else. And so I uh, met with the organizers. They brought Kairos in. Um, we worked out all the details. They come for an entire weekend. And, um, you know, they, they go uh, leave at night to uh, uh, stay outside the prison, but they're there from morning till night. And I was pretty impressed with what they did. It, it's mm. an introduction to Christianity. Um, I would welcome the team. I would go over to hear some of the talks and I would talk with the women. So I was in and out throughout the weekend. And at the closing, they could, the offenders can stand up and talk about what impact the weekend had. And I saw a multi multitude of women come to Christ mm. and I knew them and it was kind <laughs> of shocking to me. And then, so of course, after that, it's like, well, is, you know, is this real and is it going to sustain? And, and many situations and many individuals lives, it did. They made a commitment to Christ. The thing, the thing that's awesome about Kairos is they come back um, they encourage the women to meet up and group up for weekly prayer and share. They come back for monthly reunions. And then they have also other all full day reunions. And then every six months, a new 55 women on a team. Some of them have are repeats, but 55 women come in for another 42 women. So every 
year, um, 84 uh, inmates participate on Kairos Week. It was once you sign up and you just go, you, they just keep going. Wow. And I saw remarkable transformation. I had selected some women, all the women in the institution that had formerly been on death row. They were pardoned and taken off death row. But I just thought that that would be, because we were allowed to <laughs> participate in a selection of the inmates. Actually, we did select them. So anyway, uh, really tried to look at women who are pretty broken, mm. women who have experienced a lot of loss. And uh, so I just saw a remarkable transformation. So it made me so interested in it that uh, the same woman that told me about Cairo sponsored me on an Emmaus walk. And so it impacted my own faith journey by seeing what was going on in uh, the prison Kairos ministry. Wow. And then, and then you took that to Marion in yeah. the men's setting, a couple thousand men. You used the term, it's a little city. Yeah. Um, and so how, how did you, we, I mean, I've had other state or political officials on the podcast. How do you bring Christianity into the prison in well, your role? The, the interesting thing about prison is that we're required to make sure that inmates can practice their faith, whatever mm. their faith is. Mm -hmm. So it's not a stretch. It is a, it is a city. It has its, there's a 24 hour hospital and there's a police force, which would be the correctional staff. There's, you know, food service operation, maintenance, there's an industry, there's a school all the way up from adult basic education to college. So it is like a community. So it's important. it was important to me that not only were Christians well served, but the Jewish and Muslim community as well. So, um, you know, Kairos um, and Kairos invites anyone to come on the weekend. You don't have to be a Christian to go on a Kairos weekend. So it, it wasn't a, a big reach to to do that. Um, and, and, you know, we had uh, chaplains uh, that uh, we had two uh, Christian chaplains and then we had a contract imam and a contract rabbi or sometimes a Jewish lay person on contract to provide provide services for the Jewish. Mm -hmm. Now you told me that you allowed everyone to practice their religion, yeah. but that Christians are the first responders. And the number you gave me was staggeringly high. It surprised me, the the ones that come in and respond. Yeah, the, the percentage you mean? Yes. Yeah, yeah, almost everybody, most, most of the volunteers that come in are Christians. Um, and they're responding to, to the call. Um, we were able to recruit um, a handful of Jewish and Muslim volunteers and then ultimately other faith. But um, it's the Christian community that responds in a, in a big way. And I think the number you told me was 98% of the ones you see coming in are, are yeah. Christian. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. And, and you the phrase you used was Kairos changes the culture of a prison. Right. Correct. Because, I mean, that's uh, as amazing. Men, as as uh, women. And then uh, the, my first experience was with women. And then ultimately men, um, as they come into a relationship with Christ, they transform and then they 
witness to others, to the other other offenders, others in the staff. Um, and then you see this remarkable transformation. So right in front of you, you see people who maybe were involved in gang activity come to Christ or they were involved in other things in the prison, negative things. And then you can watch them literally transform in front of your eyes. It really is miraculous. I witnessed lots of miracles. And you said once a prison achieves a critical mass, then it it feels like a, t- a tidal wave. I said at one point, yeah, there was. It felt like a tidal wave because there were so many, and uh, that as you know, each year it eighty four more uh, men experienced Kairos, and then we expanded and added Kairos Torch, was which was directed toward eighteen to twenty five year olds. So then we added those guys in the mix. And then we uh, had a ministry of Kairos outside, and that served uh, female loved ones. So then you start seeing families transform. So it was mm. really pretty remarkable. Wow. And, there, and then there was a movement um, that, you know, was quite popular in the 90s called Promise Keepers. Yeah. And uh, you actually hosted one in the prison yard, right? Yeah, they, they ended, there ended up being a multiple of them, but... We did a sign first. Our first step was to do a simulcast. We reached out to Promise Keepers, and then um, they connected us with the team that was doing um, a Turn the Tide event at Nationwide Arena. And as mm. we simulcasted that into the chapel live, and so that was our first shot. The next year it was at the um, Gund Arena in Cleveland. So we simulcasted that. That was a little bit more challenging because. The name of that one was Storm the Gates. <laughs> so we had signs up advertising it that said Storm the Gates. So I thought, oh, man, I'm going to get hot water over this one. But anyway, um, then after that one, some men, some of our inmates came and said, you know, we wonder if they would ever come and do a Promise Keeper conference on the yard. So in um, August of 2003, um, they had been at at a uh, Promise Keeper event at Nationwide, and they packed up and came and put did an event on the Marion Prison Yard. So the first time ever in a, in a prison, they brought three headliners and uh, the Maranatha Promise praise team and literally did a pro- – and some of our men talked, too. Three of our men wow. did their testimony. So there were um, a thousand over – just a little bit over a thousand – um, of our inmates on the yard at that event. Wow. And so you, man, that's incredible. And you were, so you were there 10 years and then you mentioned the five years that you did at the department of youth services, a deputy director, and then the director at Ohio mm-hmm. for the youth system. And then someone asked you to be on a board for an organization that's yeah. now known as Kindway. So life pivoted. How, yeah. Tell us about that transition. So I went to my second board meeting and the uh, one and only employee had offered their resignation. So um, I considered what I wanted to do. I was nearing the end of my career in corrections. So I offered to come on as staff. So, um, and, and that, and that role, I, um, I mobilized a team of people to, um, develop what today is Embark, and Embark is a Christ-centered reentry program at both the places where I served as a board, 
uh, Marion Correctional Institution and the Ohio Reformatory for Women. So we looked at, uh, there were also three ex-offenders on that team who had transitioned from the prison to the community and had transitioned successfully. So it was them and some Kairos volunteers and some Department of Corrections officials and retired Department of Corrections folks. So we designed what to, what's known as Embark. So we launched that in 2011 and we uh, were successfully completed nine seasons of Embark. We got cut short in season nine last March, but we have an inside facilitation crew of inmates that co-facilitate with us. They finished off season nine um, last, last year. So we have had nine, we've been out this year, but preparing to go back and actually expand to a third prison by the end of the summer. So hopefully we'll be back in. Man, okay. Now she she just laid out an incredible thing that happened. Like it was almost nothing. And uh, for those of you that listen for the podcast for since the beginning, I've had a lot of human uh, trafficking people on, and we had a judge, and he talked about this thing called a recidivism rate, which mm-hmm. essentially is the rate at which a offender would fall back into the the lifestyle before that would end them in in end them back in prison or jail or whatever. And so we hear a lot about prison reform. We hear a lot about justice reform and can inmates be changed? And you've spent 40 years of your life there and you've done nine seasons uh, with Mm -hmm. Embark. What is your recidivism rate and how is your program working? Let me uh, couch that in that in the United States, about 50% of people who are incarcerated, recidivism is measured at the return rate to incarceration after three years. So, or within that three years. So for the United States, it's around 50%. Five zero. 50%. Half of people come back in three years. Wow. Right. For the state of Ohio, though, we're actually a leader um, one of the leaders in recidivism in uh, Ohio is about 31% come back. We have so one in three. One in three. Mm-hmm. Um, and our program, our program is the, the 10 months inside to prepare them for release. And then we stay connected until the day they're released. So we mm-hmm. have other things that keep them engaged. And then the rest of our program happens outside. So it's one year post-release. There's case management. We make sure they have housing, food, clothes, jobs, you know, um, whatever they need to, to successfully transition. But the goal is to get them independent. And so there's a one year and that it's voluntary. They don't have to. They can. Right. Say, yeah. yeah. So of those that have completed inside and outside, um, our 150th person walked out of prison on Monday. So we've had 150 <laughs> people come out. There has been one person that did the full program inside and outside that returned to prison on a parole violation. One. There are several, um, I think it's eight, that violate a couple actually committed, only two committed new crimes and uh, several violated their parole. And so that's just violating a rule and went back briefly, but they didn't do, they didn't do the one year outside. That still is about, I think we're about like 6% or something. So So if, yeah, so if someone follows your one year, they're less than 1% chance of going, going. Yeah, I mean, that's very unlikely. I mean, that is incredible. 
Um, now let, let's talk pre-COVID here for a second. So you, you kind of went through it real quick, Christ-centered Christian mentors. So yeah. ha- tell us about, about that Christian mentoring portion. So we have an actual program, which is a, um, for 10 months is an evidence-based reentry curriculum. And then we have the, a Christ-centered part of our program is uh, Celebrate Recovery, the 12-step, Christ-centered 12-step program. Um, so in addition to that, we have, we call them navigators, they're mentors, and we recruit men from Marion, women for ORW from the Christian community. So they're from a variety of denominations. And pre-COVID, once a month, we would go to take those people to the prison and they would interact with all of the embarked men or women. And um, it was kind of facilitated small groups at tables. So they really got a chance to know each other. And then a couple of months before the man or woman was released, they're asked by our staff, who have you developed a heart connection with? Mm. And then they get a voice in selecting their mentors. Mm. So um, that the, um, the first year we did it, we did, I would call it a blind date where he said, you and you, you're paired. About 50% <laughs> of those relationships made it and about 50% failed. Since we have had the person select their mentor, at least have a voice in it. Mm-hmm. And because there's usually now a team of a couple, two or three. But um, since we switched up, basically everybody's, um, as most people have stayed intact, wow. those relationships. So they meet the people inside. And then as they transition, so all the people that come inside, the facilitators that go in and facilitate the program, the navigators who are, you know, 20-ish, you know, when they walk out, they know 30 men or they know 30 women that they have come to know inside and they're and everybody's on the other side of the fence mm-hmm. so we have reunions they so the navigators they have a voice in selecting they're waiting for them our staff is waiting for them our staff actually do a transition plan with all of our participants prior to release so we have a specific plan and uh help them in transition so. yeah t- talk about that because you Switching to the quote outside world is tough. Um, Mm -hmm. And, you know, if you're, if you've served time and you've set up several things to make that transition successful. Yeah. Um, Well, for housing, we operate the Embark House and that's for our male participants. It's a duplex and in Columbus. And so they go there. Um, For women, we have two partners, the Rachel's House and Women of Excellence. And so they are a Christ-centered women's transitional program for coming out of prison. So there was no need to recreate that. Mm-hmm. So but we have partners. So we make, so we know where they're going and we work with our partners. Um, we um, make sure that, uh, you know, the, the, the first week they're getting their ID. The lady that was released on Monday, she's working on getting her ID. She's working on getting her social security card because there's a, something wrong with that. So there's other things that she's required to do. So we, we navigate that all the way through with them. And either our staff member, we have a transition manager for women and one for men. They organize and oversee it, and either they take them around every place they need to go, or their navigators many times are retired, and they take them. So um, 
to all the different appointments and they need to get health screenings. And so all the, they need to get a parole assessment uh, for substance abuse. So there's just a myriad of things they need to do the first couple of weeks. And we just make sure that they get around to every, every place. Yeah. And then so, you extend beyond that into jobs and to, and to housing. Yeah. Yes, we have, um, we have in the early days, no one would hire, hardly anybody would hire ex offenders. We had some, we had a, uh, we had some partners and a lot of the jobs were um, part-time and lower wage, but they were open-minded people that ran companies that would hire um, our men and women. So, I mean, we were at that point, we were thrilled, but we were ultimately looking at a livable wage and who would hire them. So we have developed partnerships with employers who have found our people to be exceptional. So, um, so it, it's really challenging to be an ex-offender and out in the community and just trying to get a job. So yeah, I can imagine. So we, um, when we talk to employers, we say, you get us, you get this whole bench of people that are behind this person, mm -hmm. making sure that, you know, they're doing the right thing, making sure they have everything they need. Um, so we do that with, and then we also are always looking for uh, uh, landlord partners because what happens there is that when they go put in an application and pay the $35 fee to, you know, for the application and that I think helps cover the background check, right. um, they are, because of their criminal history, they aren't, uh, you know, they aren't considered. Right. So then it's like after a person puts in two and three and four and they don't have hardly any money anyway. So mm -hmm. that was like, not, you know, so we thought we have got to do something about employers. So, or I'm sorry, landlords. So we actually have one of our volunteers, Bob Gorman, has volunteered to take the lead on that the last couple of years. And he has networked with a lot of private uh, landlords. So if uh, I always put a plead out anytime I have the opportunity that if you're a person that would consider um, renting to our people, uh, we would appreciate uh, uh, being contacted and then um, so, so who our landlord partners are now are people that might have three or four properties or a fourplex or a, you know, something. And then, so they're people who own them versus a large complex. Because mm. basically the large complexes will just say no, but right. they don't, sometimes they don't tell folks no till after they put in the application. Pay the uh. fee. So it, it was just, it was honestly a nightmare trying to get people. So right now we have, um, several wonderful landlord partners that that were uh, that Bob has put together a network. So, wow. and Bob's one of your staff. Tell 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 me about your staff real um, quick. Bob is actually a volunteer. Um, my staff is I have um, I have a, um, a a women's transition manager Jan, and Jan's a, a retired Columbus police detective. Um, I have a men's transition manager, um, Paul, who's actually a graduate of Embark and transitioned very successfully. And so we hired him uh, two and a half years ago. Um, Juan Martinez is our um, communications and development director. Juan also is a, a graduate of Embark. And we uh, have an office manager, Debbie, who uh, just started with us. This week's her first week, so we have a, a transition. <laughs> and she was a volunteer 
and has been a mentor to several women. And so um, it's very exciting to, to add her to the team. And then um, the other uh, full-time staff member is Stan at a brand new position called a director of community outreach. So he will be um, looking for job partners, uh, landlord partners, church partners. So he, he's, he's going to be spending a lot of time in the community trying to find, because, at, because we're expanding into a third prison, so we're going to have more people coming out. And uh, we can always use partners as well. So we really wanted to invest in that. And then we have a, a, a volunteer who has been with us from the very first day and on the very first committee. His name's Robin Morms, and he is has been a volunteer. He used to oversee all the men's ministry before we had money for staff. Then he is um, uh, he does all kinds of special projects, but he primarily is the contact person for the parole board, which means he attends parole hearings and parole family conferences for our men. And then we have a, a Debbie who oversees um, Kindware. As it's our jewelry that our women, and you can mm. check our website, people could, um, that the women inside OWW make jewelry. And it, it goes to events. Debbie oversees that. And our long-term women that she's the next web. The next web so. Wow. So, yeah. She, so Chris mentioned their website. It's kindway.org. It'll be in the show notes. Um, check that out. A lot of information on there. Also, there's a great um, video to watch Kindway Pivot right on YouTube. Uh, if you Google Kindway Pivot, um, that's, a, that's a great video to watch. Ha, okay, so you've mentioned how landlords can get involved. Um, how can churches partner and how can people who attend churches help? Well, we're always looking for partner churches, and churches do a number of things. We have churches that um, sometimes people become volunteers. Mm -hmm. um, church partners many times have either mission committees or outreach committees who select ministries in the community to support financially. So we have a number of those. Um, we don't cold call on any church. We If churches, um, if some of our staff or volunteers are members, then, then they connect us mm. with churches. Um, sometimes churches do special projects for us. Um, a Grace Fellowship in Pickerington produced mm -hmm. um, the, the pivot video that you just Did they? Yeah. Oh, yeah. And Keith and, was a guest on the show. So pardon me. Keith was a guest on oh, the show. Yeah, yeah. 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 So they're a wonderful partner. Um, the vineyard's been a great partner vineyard Columbus. They, uh, they, uh, pre COVID had a ministry called transitions and they provide housewares to people. So they've done that. Some churches have done, uh, just invite us to come bring our participants to tell their testimonies. Some have done gift card drives for us, like, uh, Meyer or Walmart cards, because when people come out, the woman that came out Monday after 25 years had nothing nothing but what she wore out of prison right so you know so so we have uh, upper arlington lutherans a wonderful uh, uh partner they've done they have ministries in their church they connect besides being a financial supporter they have ministries in their churches so um we can't you know sometimes we take kindware to to a church and have that be available or the items that the men and women make and that helps support us financially and people can buy gifts. So anyway, there's just lots of, uh, a lot of different ways churches. Um, uh, LifePoint does backpacks for us and they fill up backpacks with uh, 
items that people need coming out of prison. Um, there's just uh, some churches when we have reunions, I mentioned, we do six of those a year and different churches will come and, and bring and serve dinner mm. to the group because there's now about a hundred people that come to uh reunion. So pretty, so it's, there's just a lot, um, a lot of, a lot of yeah, stuff. no, that's great. So if they want to get involved, how do they get in contact with you? Um, they can just contact, um, they could easily contact info at kindway.org. And then it'll, uh, I'll get a notice. Uh, or mine, it's christine.money at kindway.org. If they want to reach me directly, I'd be happy to. And then we'll uh, help them connect with us. And and sometimes churches do different things that we're not, no one's aware of. There's, like I mentioned, Upper Arlington, they have a bed brigade. They may build beds, twin beds, and they have provided beds to countless children, some of our mothers who have children. So they've done that. So a lot of ministries inside churches have offered whatever they do. So we have, it's very... Um, it's very wow. diverse what churches do. Um, yeah. uh, Leave a Mark does, provides a going home outfit for every single woman walking out of the Ohio Reformatory for Women. So they get the donations, they pack them, they deliver them, and wow. the women walk out with a with a outfit. Um, so there's a lot of churches that do um, many different things. But we'll brainstorm. A lot of times we just meet with them and say, you know, tell us what you'd like to do. We can tell you what our needs are. So. No, that's great. Uh, so pastors, I encourage you or, or lay leaders, christine.money at kindway.org. That's with a C um, or info at kindway.org. Email a way to, to get involved there. Um, Chris, I'm just inspired. It's It's an area that seems like it would be tough and you've been in it for 40 years and you remain just the change numbers are mind-blowing and i think that goes to the power of the gospel if we would just say hey god use me and you can change lives there there's no other explanation for it none it 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 doesn't even make sense in a secular world (laughs) (laughs) well thank you so much for um your your service and continued service and for being on the show today well thank you for the invitation adam i really enjoyed it thank you for listening Please subscribe and share this podcast with your friends. Also, rating and reviewing us on iTunes helps get the word out.